0: passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. The story of Philemon and Onesimus actually begins about a decade before the letter of Philemon is written. And it it, uh, actually starts in the city of Ephesus, a completely different city than where Philemon lives. Acts 19 tells us that Paul spent about three years in the city of Ephesus. While he was there, he was preaching the gospel and he was training up other leaders who were going to bring the gospel from Ephesus, a a regional hub for Asia Minor, and they were going to spread the gospel throughout that region. So Paul spends three years there, and he's training up other leaders. And one of the people that he trains up, he encounters, is a man named Epaphras. Last couple weeks or last month or two, we were going through the book of Colossians, and we saw that Epaphras was the man who planted the church in Colossae. Epaphras received his training from Paul during this season of Paul's ministry in Ephesus that's described in Acts chapter 19. What's also likely is that during this time, during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, he probably also encountered Philemon. Philemon was from Colossae as well. He was a wealthy businessman. And just like Epaphras, Philemon became a Christian under Paul's teaching, and he was also trained up to be a leader in the church and was sent back to Colossae to be one of the leaders there. His time with Paul in Ephesus may have been brief, but he returned and was a part of the church planting team for the church in Colossae alongside his friend Epaphras. Over the next decade or so, Epaphras and Philemon worked together. They were part of the flourishing of the church in Colossae. They were a part of the successful ministry in Colossae. Epaphras was using his gifts to teach and to shepherd the church, while Philemon was using his gifts, all of the resources at his disposal, his heart of hospitality, his heart of generosity, to host the church and to serve the saints. Now, during this decade between Philemon's conversion and between what the the letter of Philemon describes, Philemon grows faithfully. He grows steadily in his faith as a Christian. He soon becomes known throughout the entire church in Colossae as well as in the surrounding communities as a man known for his faithfulness, a man who is committed to the spread of the gospel. He became known for his generosity to the churches. He built up this reputation during this decade as a life-giving Christian, as someone that you want to spend time with, someone who is a source of joy, of hope, of encouragement to those that he comes into contact with. He's a man that was well-spoken of by all. In essence, Philemon was the consummate friend. He was dependable. He was encouraging. He was generous. He was the type of person, as I mentioned, that you wanted to be around. After having a conversation with Philemon, you would come away re-energized. You would come away refueled in your faith. But Philemon wasn't perfect. There's still plenty of parts of his life where the transformational power of the gospel remained surprisingly absent. The old man, the old Philemon, still had a foothold in various areas of Philemon's life, and one of these blind spots in his life was the area of slavery. Paradoxically, Philemon, for all of his generosity toward others, for all of his life-giving speech toward the church, for all of his encouragement for his brothers and sisters, somehow continued to own people, something that was completely at odds with what the Bible says. Now, we can, be, we can assume that he treats his slaves well, and yet it's clear that Philemon hasn't fully grasped the power of the gospel, the radical nature of the gospel that is a liberation for people of every background. One of these slaves that Philemon owned was a man named Onesimus. We don't know how long Philemon owned Onesimus, but at some point, Onesimus seizes his opportunity for freedom and runs away from Philemon. What's more, we can gather from the, book, from the letter to Philemon that Onesimus probably robbed him before he ran away. He probably took enough money for him so he could start a new life far away from Philemon, far away from, getting, from any chance of getting caught as a runaway slave. And so Onesimus, loaded with stolen money, he sets off for a new life of freedom, and he journeys a 1,000 miles away to Rome. Onesimus knew that the penalty for a slave running away could be as severe as death, and what's more, he had robbed his master. And so he goes to great lengths to find a place where he will never be found, a place where he can disappear. And so he settles on Rome. Rome, a city of up to a million people living there at the time, a thousand miles away from Colossae, a thousand miles away from Philemon. As far as Onesimus knew, this was the perfect plan to start over. But if you've read this letter, God had different plans. Some people speculate that Onesimus ran into Paul one day while he was walking around Rome. While Paul was preaching in Rome, there was this this random coincidence where Paul and Onesimus meet. Onesimus becomes a Christian under his teaching, and the rest is history, so they say. I don't think that's accurate. Uh, A couple reasons. I don't think it's accurate that this was just a pure coincidence that they ran into each other. First, Paul was under house arrest while he was in Rome. It would have been very difficult for Paul to get out and to preach the gospel in the open air. Second, and even more significant, Onesimus would have known Paul's name. He would have known that he was a friend of his master Philemon. And if he would have heard the name Paul, if he would have seen this man Paul, he would have ran the other way for risk of getting caught and turned in to his master, and he never would have had the chance to hear the gospel. I think instead, it's more likely that Onesimus actually seeks Paul out in Rome. Let me me explain that. I think once Onesimus finds out that Paul is in Rome, Onesimus seeks him out. Onesimus had done all in his power to get away from Philemon, to get away from his past life. And yet his mind continued to be drawn to what he had done in robbing his old master. The guilt would not leave him. He couldn't get away from the fact that he had tried to run away and yet his mind was still with Philemon and it was still with Colossae. God wouldn't let Onesimus go. As he, as he attempted to start his new life in Rome, as he attempted to build a life based off of the theft of his master, his conscience was racked with guilt over what he had done. Surely many of us can relate to that. We try to ignore God but God won't let us go. God continues to remind us of him. God continues to remind us of the wrong that we have done and the right that we must do. Philemon, excuse me, Onesimus probably tried many things to clear his conscience. He was a pagan and so he probably offered a number of sacrifices to the Roman gods all to no avail. He wallowed in guilt and knew of no way to make things right. But then one day, God intervened. After living in Rome for a season, Onesimus began to hear a name mentioned over and over and over again, and that name was Paul of Tarsus. It was a name that Onesimus knew from the past. It was a name that Philemon had often used with great admiration. Now, Onesimus had likely never met this Paul of Tarsus, but... He had seen Philemon's life change after he encountered Paul of Tarsus and his teaching in Ephesus all those years ago. And so out of options, racked by his guilt, consumed by his guilt, Onesimus seeks out this Paul of Tarsus with the hope that this man will know how to make things right. This man will know how to get rid of the guilt that he feels, Eventually, he finds Paul, and the man that he encounters is a a far different man than the one he expected. He finds this Paul of Tarsus in a dirty, small, rented house, chained to a Roman guard, awaiting trial before the Roman authorities. And yet, Paul of Tarsus was willing to hear Onesimus' story. He was willing to hear all that had transpired in bringing him to this point in Rome before Paul. Now, as you may guess, Onesimus certainly gets more than he bargained for when he meets Paul in Paul's house arrest prison cell. In response to Onesimus' confession of this inescapable guilt that he feels, this old man in change, this Paul of Tarsus speaks with a fire that Onesimus has never heard before in his life. Paul of Tarsus speaks of this Jesus. It was a name that Onesimus had heard on the lips of Philemon many times before. Paul of Tarsus speaks of this forgiveness of sins, this removal of guilt, this washing of the conscience, and a new life. Onesimus, a man who had sought a new life through theft and running away from his problems, now discovered that the key to a new life was found in dying to self and in union with this Jesus that Paul and Philemon spoke about. We find ourselves at a spot where Onesimus has sought Paul for a clear conscience, and yet after meeting Paul, he becomes a believer in the exact same God that Philemon had believed in, that Philemon does believe in this Jesus, the Christ of the Jews. And so, over the next season, we don't know how long it is, Onesimus meets with Paul frequently. Onesimus grew up pagan, and so he knew nothing of the stories of the Jewish history, of God's people, Israel, of God's plan for redemption for humanity, of this Jesus coming to a small and seemingly insignificant province on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. And sitting under Paul's teaching, Onesimus flourishes. He grows by leaps and bounds in his faith as Philemon himself would probably have attested, even spending just a small amount of time with this Paul of Tarsus is going to do that to you. Onesimus no longer is the same person that he was when he fled Philemon. But God isn't done with Onesimus at this point. God's not done with him yet. Yet. He has been forgiven by God through the mercy of Christ, but before he can make any real lasting strides in his Christian faith, he has to meet his old master Philemon. He has to ask for forgiveness. And I think if we pause, if we step back for a second, the same is often true of us as well. Grace is free. There's nothing that we can do or have to do to earn that grace. There's nothing that we can do or have to do to earn salvation. But all too often, there is one sin, one wound in our past that we must confront before we are able to continue in our spiritual growth. And so, as God would have it, an opportunity arrives Imagine how it happened one day going something like this. Onesimus is meeting with Paul as he often did. He's praying with Paul and there's a knock on the door of the house. And a man steps in and it is no other than Philemon's friend Epaphras. I just imagine the shock on Onesimus's face. This man who has started a new life thousands of miles away from Philemon and Onesimus and he's he's praying asking for God to reveal to him how he can grow in his faith. And then all of a sudden, Epaphras walks in. This man from his past, a friend of his master. On the other side, imagine Epaphras' face at this moment. He comes to find the Apostle Paul, the the man who basically started the, the church, or at least raised him up to start the church in Colossae. And then he walks in and he finds him praying with a runaway thief. God rarely lets us run away for too long. Epaphras brought news of the church in Colossae, and he was seeking wisdom from his mentor, Paul. And even though Paul had never been to Colossae, he cared deeply for the church. And so he took some time to write a letter to the church addressing some of the problems and the issues that were facing them and this dangerous new teaching. And so Paul writes a letter to the church in Colossae for Epaphras, and he gets his friend Tychicus, and he says, Tychicus, I want you to bring this letter to Colossae. But Paul wasn't done. He didn't send Tychicus to Colossae alone. Paul and uh, uh, Onesimus knew that as hard as it may be, it was time for Onesimus to return to the church in Colossae as well. It was time for him to face his past. Obedience to the gospel necessitated that he seek the forgiveness of the man that he had once wronged. Now again, imagine if you're Onesimus. This is an absolutely terrifying prospect. The thought of returning to Colossae, traveling over a thousand miles back to his old master, the threat of death looming large over him. And yet, obedience to God would take him right through the valley of darkness. It would take him right into the pain, not help him to avoid it. Isn't that the same today as well? God rarely helps us to avoid the hard moments in life, the uncomfortable conversations, the uncovered areas of unrepentance in our lives. But he does say, I will be with you in the midst of those things, as we confront those things. Obedience takes us into the middle of the hardship. And so we get to one of those moments, like Onesimus, where we find ourselves faced with a choice. Are we going to be obedient? Are we going to face the the terrifying unknown of the future? Will we continue to follow Jesus? Are we going to continue to make that long journey back to Colossae? Or are we going to run away? Are we going to run on our own path to avoid the pain, to avoid the fear, to avoid the difficulties? Running away is certainly easier. It saves our our fear, it saves our pride, it saves our semblance of control, but it stunts our spiritual growth. It cuts off our communion with Christ. You see, Onesimus knew that there was a possibility he was heading back to face his death, and yet he also knew that his newfound faith would bring him to that point. And so Onesimus is encouraged by Paul, he's encouraged by his new brothers in Rome, and he sets out with Tychicus on the long journey back to Colossae. And what's more, Paul has written a letter to Philemon individually, and he sends it with him, asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus for what has transpired, what seems like it wasn't all that long ago, but for Onesimus was literally a lifetime ago, because he is a new man. And so for a month and a half, Tychicus and Onesimus travel to Colossae. And you can imagine that over those 45 days, Onesimus thought more than once about running away. More than once about just giving up and, and playing it safe. And yet God gave him Tychicus. God gave him a man to speak into him, to encourage him, to walk with him in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the pain. It is so much easier to walk into the hardship when we don't have to do it alone. And so Onesimus shows up at Colossae. The church is gathered together at Philemon's house. They hear that there are messengers from the Apostle Paul, the ones they've been praying for, and they're overcome with joy. And they read the the letter that Paul has written to them, to the church in Colossae, with joy. But then... They notice the man who traveled with the letter carrier. They notice that it isn't just Tychicus. There's someone else with him. Remember Paul's words from the letter of Colossians, Colossians 4. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a blessed, brother, a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. The implication of that last sentence is they will tell you every single thing that has happened to Onesimus to change him from this runaway thief into the brother in Christ that you see standing before you. Shock, I'm sure, fills the room as they all realize that this is the exact same Onesimus who had run away from Philemon with some of Philemon's wealth, and now he's been sent back by the Apostle Paul, not as a thief to face justice, but as a brother to receive forgiveness. I imagine that the entire time that the letter to to the Colossians is read that that Onesimus just has his head down the entire time. Not wanting to to make eye contact with anyone in the church that he once served as a slave. It's pretty shocking for everyone there, but I'm sure it was most shocking for Philemon, for his wife, Aphia, and for his son, uh, Archippus. They were leaders in the church. They had been robbed by this pagan slave, and now that slave stands before them again, and what's more, he has a letter from the venerable apostle Paul himself. It's a letter that we have before us, a letter requesting forgiveness for his crimes. Consider this letter. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. No longer as a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I desire some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping to come through your prayers that I will graciously be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What a powerful, personal, intense letter. This letter is filled with references to Paul's love for Philemon, to Paul's love for Onesimus, the joy that Paul has from Philemon's faithful service to the gospel. He makes repeated reference to his desire to make things right between Philemon and Onesimus, two men that he dearly loves. Just consider for a second how this letter starts, how Paul describes himself at the beginning of this letter. And just about every single letter that we have for Paul Paul begins by describing himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus, but not here. Here he describes himself as a prisoner for the Lord's sake. He's doing something that's far more than just describing his situation here. This is a subtle reminder of the sacrifices that Paul has made for the sake of the gospel. Even as he is about to ask Philemon to make a sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Paul also knew that this, Paul Paul knows that this is going to be hard for Onesimus. Onesimus is going to face the one that he had robbed, that he had wronged, that he could be severely punished for doing so. And yet Paul asks Onesimus to step out in faith, to step into the darkness as a part of the faith that he professes. But this is also a hard moment For Philemon as well. Philemon is a very different person than Onesimus, but he's presented with basically the exact same opportunity as Onesimus is. Philemon is a great man of faith. He is a man who has followed God faithfully in the church community for over a decade. He is known in the church for his faith, his generosity toward others, and now he has an opportunity. To show it in a way that he has never shown it before. To make a sacrifice that is costly. To make a sacrifice that is great. But it is a sacrifice that will speak to the power of the gospel more than a hundred conversations ever could. To forgive Onesimus. Consider briefly just the fourfold plea, the fourfold argument of Philemon, or of Paul for Philemon's forgiveness here. First, Paul begins with a word of thanksgiving for the faith and the love of Philemon, verses three through seven. Let's go ahead and show that on the screen. We're not gonna read through it, but just look at these words. Here we have a genuine prayer of thanksgiving, but it's also a teaching moment. Paul is reminding Philemon of the type of person that he is. He is a man that is known for his love, known for his faith, known for his generosity in the church. He is a man who is a constant source of comfort and encouragement for Paul himself because he is a source of life, a blessing to the rest of the church. Paul tells us that Philemon has refreshed the church over and over again. He's a paragon of encouragement, of revitalization for these people in the church. And now he has an opportunity to do it once more in a way that will speak far louder than anything he has done to this point. How will Philemon respond? Second, Paul appeals to Philemon as a brother, verses 8 through 11. He starts here by by saying that, I know, Philemon, you're faced with with a difficult decision because you have seriously been wronged by Onesimus. Philemon is the type of person who would obey if Paul said, this is what you need to do. You need to forgive him, you need to release him, you actually need to send him back to Rome because he's valuable to me. Paul very easily could have said that Onesimus would have been freed. He would have been back in Rome. The gospel would have been spreading again with Paul and Onesimus working together. But that's not what Paul does. Paul doesn't just want obedience. He doesn't want Philemon to just do the right thing. He wants him to do the right thing from the right heart. I'm sure all of us can relate to this in in some way or another, can't we? Under compulsion, most people will do the right things. If we're forced to do something right, we will do it. We might do it begrudgingly, we may not do it joyfully, but at least we're going to do the right thing. But Paul doesn't want Philemon to just do the right thing, he wants him to have the right heart. And so he writes to him, not as as an authority, but instead as a brother. He encourages Philemon as an equal. He reminds Philemon of this wonderful good news that he is bringing. Onesimus is now a brother. It's very clear here what he wants Philemon to do, but he doesn't say it in a way that leaves him no decision. He is hoping that just as Onesimus has stepped out in faith, has faced the hardship before him by coming back to Colossae, he is hoping that Philemon would do the exact same thing. The spiritual fruit that Philemon has borne in his life up to this point would continue in a bountiful harvest with how he responds to this request from Paul concerning Onesimus. Third. Paul appeals from God's perspective, verses 12 through 16. Onesimus runs away from Paul as a slave, and yet he returns now as a brother. When we have been wronged, it is all too easy for us to look at things purely from an earthly perspective, to just look at things from our own perspective. But Paul encourages Philemon to take a step back and to look at how God has used evil for good. You see, Onesimus was in the wrong for robbing Paul. Onesimus was in the wrong for running away, according to that culture. Paul doesn't excuse his actions, but he does say in God's mysterious, wonderful providence And God's sovereignty over all things, that God can use that evil of Onesimus robbing him and running away for good. He can use that for Onesimus' own spiritual new birth. And so Paul encourages Philemon to look at these things from God's perspective. He has lost a ton in Onesimus' running away. When Onesimus robs him, runs away, he has lost a great deal. And yet Paul says, isn't that worth it? For the infinitely more valuable gift of Onesimus' soul. It's almost as if Paul is saying, there is more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Philemon, will you join in the rejoicing of heaven? Even though you have been wronged, is the salvation of Onesimus' soul worth the financial loss that you have suffered? One final appeal from Paul. He appeals to the gospel in verses 17 through 20. Paul recognizes that Philemon has been wronged by Onesimus. And yet he models the gospel. He models self-sacrifice that we see in the gospel by offering to take that loss upon himself. Following Jesus is costly. It will cost us our pride. It will cost us our selfishness. It will cost us our right to hold on to our anger. It will cost us our right to hold on to anything that we want and cherish. And yet, Paul's earnest desire here for Philemon is for him to do exactly that. He's reminding Philemon of his calling. You have been wronged. How will you respond? Philemon and Onesimus remind us, All too often, God brings us right into the hardship, face-to-face with it, rather than letting us avoid it. And he does so because he loves us. And he wants us to grow in our trust of him. So this morning, our question is, how will you respond how will you respond when you are faced with a difficult call of obedience, or the evil or the easy path of avoidance? How will you respond? It would have been far easier for Onesimus to return to Colossae. It would have been far easier for Philemon to refuse to even look at Paul's letter, let alone the notion of forgiving this runaway thief. But in doing so, they would have robbed themselves of the opportunity God was giving them to let God work in their hearts. When you are faced with difficult call of obedience, how will you respond? You see, this morning, perhaps you, as we look at this story, you find yourself relating to Onesimus, even as God is nudging Onesimus to take the hard steps of of seeking for forgiveness, showing repentance with his life. Perhaps God is calling you to do the same. And it doesn't just have to be repentance. It can be the uncovering of hidden sin. Perhaps God is calling you to take that step, step of obedience. It may cost you your pride. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you even more than that. Is obedience to Jesus worth it? On the other hand, you might find yourself relating more to Philemon. You feel as though you've been wronged in the past and you probably have. And yet God is asking you to forgive. For Philemon, this was the most difficult expression of his faith in his life. He had been a Christian faithfully for 10 years and now he's faced with the most difficult decision that he has to make. God is asking him to forgive a brother for the sake of the gospel. Perhaps God is asking you to do the same. Are you willing to follow Jesus even into the hardship, into the difficulty, and into the pain. This morning, if God is impressing on your heart the call to follow, to follow into the darkness, into the hardship, as a sign of your obedience to him, follow him. Know that God is with you and He will see you through to the other side. Let's pray. God, it is our earnest desire to honor you, to follow you even when it's hard, when it hurts. It's painful. And God, we confess that it would not be worth it if it would not be for you. It would not be possible if it weren't for you walking with us. Give us grace, God, as we seek to honor you, as we seek to follow you. Help us, Lord, in every season to bear much fruit and to give you much glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.